Well, good morning. Hello, my name's John, and today this is the last talk in a series that we're entitling Faithful Stewards. And that's language taken from a letter that was written by Jesus' friend Peter to Christians who were living across Asia Minor. And um, you might remember this verse, 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And a couple of weeks ago, Ollie was talking and he suggested that what Peter is getting at in this verse is that reminding us that we are not owners of uh, everything that we have, the clothes on your back, the air in your lungs, the money in your bank, even the bodies that we live in, first and foremost, they belong to God. And, um, you know, it says this in, in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. And so Ollie got us asking this question, how do we align the way that we use those things that we have at our disposal um, and align them with the values of Jesus? And last week, John continued that by looking at the stewardship of our, of our money. If you haven't seen those two talks, would really recommend you go back and watch them at the talks link. But today we're going to consider what it means to be faithful stewards of this planet, of creation. And um, before we get too far into this topic, I just want to be up front and say, I am not an eco-warrior, okay? I'm, I, I feel like I'm a beginner with this. I'm not especially qualified. When Ollie and I were deciding who was going to do this topic, I tried to duck it, if I'm honest, on the grounds that um, sometimes, if it's a cold day, when I have a shower, um, rather than get out of the shower to brush my teeth, I spend a two, two extra luxurious minutes in the shower brushing my teeth. Um, and now I've told you about it and I can never do it ever again. But, um, you know, I do do some things environmentally. So most days I cycle to work. I've always done that. But if I'm honest, it's more about finance and fitness than it is about, about my carbon footprint. About half my clothes come from charity shops. But that's probably because my fashion tastes aren't especially demanding. Um, Energy-wise, Abby and I, I'd say we do live in a relatively efficient way because we share a home with Abby's parents. Um, but again, that choice is probably more about our vision for family than it is about the environment. So I've got a long way to go in terms of living this out. Um, and the other thing that I just want to put as a caveat is I've become aware recently that this topic of sustainability is complicated. So, for example, I saw a headline recently that um, one study showed that a gluten-free croissant was worse for the environment than a bacon sandwich, which was confusing but ultimately positive news for me. Um, <laughs> Or another person told me that apparently an electric bike, some studies have shown that an electric bike is better for the environment than a human-powered one because we consume dirtier fuel than an electric bike does. The food we eat is not so great for the environment. So it's confusing. So I'm probably going to get lots of things wrong in the next few minutes. Please have grace for me. And finally, I am aware that after this service, I'm driving home in a diesel car. So before you email me about that... I am aware of the irony of this situation. Do you remember they told us that diesels were good for the environment and then we found out they were lying? So it's not, um, it's not a dissimilar story as a church. We, we would acknowledge that we've got a way to go with this. So we are doing some things and we have been doing them for a while. So, for example, all of our waste, we've got um, a contract where um, all of our waste goes to a special plant. 80% of it is um, recycled and the other 20% is converted into energy for Nottingham. Um, by the end of last year, we finished replacing all of the bulbs, light bulbs everywhere with LEDs across all of our buildings. Um, since 2009, we've had solar panels up on the roof of the warehouse. 
And we try and use local um, suppliers for the cafe and for Trent conferencing whenever we can. So we have taken some steps. We have a sustainability task force that started at the beginning of last year. But to be honest, it's very much still finding its feet. We've got a long way to go in terms of like policies and things like that. So it would be hypocritical if I suggested that we have cracked it as a church or that I'm some kind of expert or example to follow. Okay, just making that clear. Um, so if you're hoping that today what I'm going to do is sort of explain, you know, how to be sustainable and live an environmentally friendly life, you know, what car you should be driving, what shops to boycott, how much plastic you can use, that's not my aim today to tell you how. It's more about really asking the question, why? Why is this important? Because, of course, at the moment, the topic of the environment is a huge issue across the planet. Um, there was an enormous global survey um, done just recently by the UN Development Programme that showed that 72% of Western Europeans and nearly two-thirds of people globally believe that climate change is a global emergency. And, of course, there was the COP26 summit just recently. Um, so it's a massive political issue. But, of course, the question is, is it a discipleship issue? Is it an issue that Christians should be bothered about? Um, and there are no reference to carbon footprints or plastic in the Bible. Um, believe me, if there were, I'd be quoting those verses today. I've had a look for them. But as Christians, you know, we believe, don't we, that these bodies that we live in and this life is, is temporary, that we have our eyes fixed on eternity. So is it such a big deal if this world is going to end one day? It's a, it's a valid question. And I think it's important to ask that. You know, is this an important issue for us as Christians, or is it potentially even a distraction from the main sort of job we have as Christians of the gospel? Um, so that seems like um, a good time to look at our, the results of our little mini survey. So I don't know what you've answered. Let's have a look. Have we got the answers? Okay, brilliant. So a bit of a mixture there. Very fascinating. So we've got 45% future generations, 21% because of what I read in the Bible. I like that. That one is kind of like a Christian's if you've been to like Sunday school, you know that's the right answer that you're supposed to answer, aren't you? But it's like, but no, that's a good, that's a good spread. Okay, so not many of you said, I don't see why Christians should care about it. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up if that's you. But I think that's, um, you know, good because I, I, I actually believe that the Bible does, that God does care about the environment. Um, during the account of creation of the universe in Genesis chapter 1, God describes various elements that he's creating, the sun, um, the sea, the sky, the plants, the animals. Every time he describes them as good. And he concludes in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So it's clear that God views creation as good and inherently worth something. Um, it's clear that also that, 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 that the creation has this purpose of showcasing how good God is. Um, Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And the Bible also explains that care of creation is important to God. Um, in Psalm 65, verse 9, it says, You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide people with grain, for so you have ordained it. And what's interesting is that God has a specific plan for the relationship between creation and humanity. Um, and it's laid out right at the start in Genesis chapter 1. Perhaps a familiar passage, God, he, he, he creates Adam and Eve. And it says in verse 28, God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. 
Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And so this is depicting this kind of two-way dynamic in the relationship between humans and creation where he's made the, God has made the earth to provide us with, with the stuff that we need, food and resources, but he has made us to take care of the world. That's part of our, a big part of our purpose as his creation. God commissions us to, you see, to rule and subdue the earth. Now on the surface, um, those words sound a little bit like, you know, we've got carte blanche to, to sort of use the environment however we want it, to rule it and subdue it. But we see in God's example that ruling and subduing is more about the stuff, the stuff that he does in that passage, creating, nurturing, causing the world to grow and to flourish. And it's certainly not about abusing it for his own gain. So, so ruling is more about taking responsibility for the good creation and subduing is more about shaping the environment suitably so that the world can, can flourish. And so this word stewardship that we've been using the last few weeks, it very much sums all of this up. Now, it's true that, that, that if, you look, if you carry on into the story, Adam and Eve, there's the fall. And, and at that point, humanity's relationship with creation became strained. In Genesis 3, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. And of course, now um, we know that humans... Really, in many ways, we have failed in our vocation, God-given vocation to care for creation. We have ruled and subdued the earth, but we've done it in a very self-centered way, using the earth's resources for the sake of our comfort and our wealth at the expense of habitat, creatures, and fellow humans. So, so I think to those of you who answered the question, yes, because I'm cared about the current destruction of wildlife and habitat, I think you are onto something. Because I think that's very much our responsibility. Um, and to drill into this idea of taking care of the, 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 the environment, I want to just touch on a, a principle that, that, that God gives his people in the laws of the Old Testament, mostly in the book of Leviticus, um, describing this, this Old Testament principle of Sabbath. Now, today, when we talk about Sabbath, often the first thing that comes to mind is having a day off each week. Um, and that is... That's kind of right. That's a big part of Sabbath. The word essentially means stop. Um, but it's actually describing something much bigger than just a day off each week. Um, so most of the Sabbath stuff in, in, in the Bible is in this book of Leviticus. And there's a slide that's going to come up here. Don't worry, we haven't probably got time to go through all this. But if you want to, get your phone out and take a picture of that and you can have a look at it later. But basically, just to summarise, in the Old Testament, God... Um, told the nation of Israel to observe Sabbath in a bunch of different ways. So firstly, every week, he told everybody to take a day off where all the humans and all the animals got a rest. Then every seven years, what he did was, um, during this year, everybody stopped working the fields. And remember, this was predominantly an agricultural um, sort of economy and, and, and sort of um, people. And they only ate what grew naturally that year in the fields. And all the animals had a year off. It's a big deal, isn't it? Can you imagine that? The impact that would have. They had no freezers, no little to go to. Big deal. And then every, after seven of those seven years, after the 49th year, on the 50th year, 
there would be something called the Jubilee year every 50 years, and which was the, the, the year of release. And the Jubilee was kind of like a super Sabbath where they would do a second year of not harvesting, not, agricult- not farming the fields again. But also on the Jubilee, um, all debts were cancelled. Um, if any land had been sold, and sold, if a family had had to sell their, their land, it was returned to that family and slaves were released. So it was like a massive, it was a complete sort of economic reset for a whole nation of people. It was a significant thing. And you can imagine the impact it would have had. So it's more, Sabbath is about more than just a day off. It's the concept of a whole nation buying into and living with this pattern of rest and margins in its life, margins that are good. And of course, nowadays, as Christians, we, we don't live under the requirements of this law. But there are principles in this, embedded within this, that I think are, are helpful for us to consider. So this Sabbath, it emphasises, first, that, that the environment belongs to God and not us. In the instruction about the Jubilee thing, in Leviticus 25, God says, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land. It's also an encouragement that humans are to take from the environment what they need as opposed to everything that they can get. So... Um, you know, by, by, by putting these margins in place, by sort of demanding the people rest every so often, it was addressing and restraining this kind of fallen human impulse that we have to strive for more and more and to focus on what we need as opposed to everything that we want. Um, and we see this principle, for example, in places like Leviticus 23, um, where God says, when you reap the harvest of your land... Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of the harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. And this kind of touches on a third principle that we see in this Sabbath practice, that that when we need to give special consideration to the poor and the disempowered when we're thinking about the way we use the environment around us. So this this Jubilee year was a, a, a radical way of running an economy. Um, and this principle of actually making space and, and ensuring that the poor had something. I think a big challenge for us today in the West is that we live in a world that isn't really set up in that way. That's not the principle that our culture runs by. Our culture never tells us to stop consuming things. It doesn't encourage us to have margins. It encourages us to consume more. Um, and because we live in a global world these days, of course, we don't see the environmental impact that our choices make. We don't see the deforestation, the rising sea levels, the increased flooding. And we don't see that it's often the poorest people in the world who are most affected by environmental damage. Like, you know, like this, just one example, a photo from Tear Fund's website. Piles of waste and pollution washed into a poor Brazilian um, riverside community during a flood. And these are the things that are going on all around the world. We don't see this. We don't see the pollution when we flick a switch. And we don't see the poverty that lies at the end of a supply chain when we open a packet. But we are accountable to God for these things. God's heart is for the poor. So what this means for us today is that when we hear about intensive agriculture and the deforestation caused by our relentless demand for cheap meat, it's supposed to ring an alarm bell for us. Or when we hear about children and adults working for less than a dollar a day 
and fields to supply the world with cheap corn and rice, it's supposed to ring an alarm bell for us. When we hear about chemicals being poured into the ground so that we don't have to leave the fields fallow for a year and we can just keep on harvesting them over and over and over again, and when we hear about the rising CO2 levels and the effect that that will have on the future, these things are supposed to ring alarm bells. Now, one of the most famous um, voices in the sort of global environmental dialogue at the moment is, of course, the campaigner Greta Thunberg. Um, and she has global influence now because she's, she's passionate, she's informed, she believes what she said. But I think most of all, it's because she represents a generation. She speaks for the children of the world, for, for the children who are alive and yet unborn. And she's really calling us adults to account and saying, you know, you need to leave something for us to enjoy. And I think, that the, I think many people resonate with that because I think our human hearts are shaped like God's heart. And, and God cares about those who can't speak for themselves. He cares about the rights of the children and it's our job to protect them. And I think it also, this message also resonates with the human heart because, because so many, I think like, like Greta, we recognize that the future, the future matters. The future is worth fighting for. And that's why I noticed lots of you said, yes, I'm concerned because I'm concerned about future generations. I agree with that. And I think God agrees. But the future that we read about, that we're fighting for in the Bible, is a future that's bigger and better than we could possibly imagine. I think it's ironic that some Christians would you'd argue that, you know, it doesn't really matter what we do with this environment because the world is going to end one day um, and Jesus will return and he'll fix everything and we'll go to heaven. Um, you know, you might have heard Christians sort of make that kind of argument. But I think it overlooks this idea that our, our vocation of ruling and subduing creation, of looking after it, taking responsibility for it, is something that we're going to take with us on into eternity. In the future age, our eternal life um, with God is not going to be characterised by us being sort of like whisked off into heaven, this kind of ethereal place where we'll sit on clouds surrounded by cherubs feeding us grapes. That picture um, is a picture that we, it's, it's got more to do with Greek mythology than what we read in the Bible. What the Bible actually describes about the future age is there's going to be this tremendous work of recreation when Jesus returns and we will witness the full coming of God's kingdom and we catch glimpses of what it's going to look like in places in the Bible like Isaiah chapter 65 and in Revelation 21 and 22. And it's amazing. God says, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. And then in Revelation, it sort of adds a bit more to this image of the future age. And it's amazing. It talks about there being a water there that gives life. It talks about the tree of life that we, that we read about in the Garden of Eden is going to be there. And God's presence will be there. God's presence will once again take up residence in this new creation, just like how he walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so it's a picture that's sort of less about discarding this creation and just having a brand new um, replacement. And it's more about recreation, restoration, making new, removing sin and death from everything that God has made. And concerning our humanity's relationship with this new creation, there will be a reversal of what happened in the fall. So skipping back into Isaiah again, it says, in, the, in this time, my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands, they'll not labour in vain. It will be a time 
when God's people enter into the life that will continue forever, but in many ways look similar to this life today. We'll have bodies, we will work, we'll retain this role of being God's stewards, caring and tending for his creation. And so what I'm trying to, I realise I'm whizzing through a lot of the Bible here, but you know, when people say, what's the point in looking after this planet when there'll be a new, one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth? I think the point is, well, we're going to spend eternity looking after that new earth. So we might as well get some practice in on this one right now, in the meantime. Creation care is basically an expression of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So should Christians care about the environment? I think, yes, we should. Because the future matters, because the environment matters, and because ultimately what we read in the Bible, I believe it instructs us to be faithful stewards, both in this life and in the age to come. Now, as I said, today has mostly been about trying to unpack some thoughts around why we should care about this, but, but I just want to finish with a few thoughts about if you're a beginner like me, very much a beginner with this, here's a few thoughts about how we might begin to do this. And um, I found it helpful to think about those Sabbath principles that I mentioned earlier. So firstly, remember the environment belongs to God, not us. And so this is about, you know, confronting our internal attitude of entitlement with this call to steward and to care for God's creation on his behalf. And so when we're faced with a decision about consumption, you know, it might be the clothes we're buying, what energy supply are we going for, food, travel anything that could have an impact on the environment, we should be asking the question, I think John asked, may I, as opposed to the simply thinking, you know, can I do this? Secondly, do you remember humans are to take from the environment what we need, not everything that we can get. So just because, you know, if you're in the fortunate position of being able to, you know, you can afford to turn your heating up and, and wear, you know, not wear a jumper in December, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should. Or similarly, you know, if we can, just because we can get a, a short-haul flight somewhere to go on holiday for £30, that doesn't mean that it's the only cost associated with that transaction. Or, for example, the amount of waste we produce. When we um, moved into a house with Abby's parents, um, we found out from the council that we were entitled to have two wheelie bins. So we ordered an extra wheelie bin, and um, then a few months had gone, went by and this wheelie bin hadn't turned up. And I began to get frustrated by that. And I said, Abby, have you got their number? I want to ring, um, ring them up and get our wheelie bin. And Abby said, well, I've been thinking about that. And we have just about been getting all of our you know, rubbish into one. So just because we're entitled to, to, to two, do we need it? And so we've, been, you know, we've, got, we've got, just got the one bin. This tiny little example. And thirdly, we need to give special consideration to the poor and the disempowered when thinking about the environment. This is, I think, starts with learning about the impact of our choices. Um, I'd really recommend, if you've never been to it, go to Tear Fund's website, the charity Tear Fund. Um, and there you can explore some of the causes um, that are worth speaking for and also give you sort of some insights into how you can begin to speak up for those causes using the voice that we have. And I've heard that one of the best ways that we can use our voice um, is through what we spend money on, um, money talks. Um, for example, the government tracks um, spending trends as a gauge of public attitudes and preferences. So those are some of the things that we can begin to do. Um, and as we step into this, let's remember um, 
to, what we want to do, we want to avoid tokenism. Nobody likes that person who buys a bamboo toothbrush and then chastises everybody who has a plastic toothbrush. So if this is a discipleship issue, <coughs> then it starts with the posture of our hearts. So it might help if you're beginning with this like me, um, for example, to start by just simply connecting with creation. Do you remember during lockdown when the highlight of our day was going for a walk and the, 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 the bird song wasn't drowned out by traffic noise? If we drifted away, it might be by starting by just reconnecting with that practice of connecting with creation, reminding ourselves how good it is and how worth fighting for it is and engaging with a journey of learning. I, as I began to think about this, I realised that I've got no idea. You know, say, for example, what car I drive, what energy supplier, um, whether I recycle. I had no idea which of those things was a more significant factor than the others. Um, and there's some brilliant climate, climate impact calculators that you can find online to begin to learn about that. And that can help to inform the decisions that you make. I now know how, what the carbon footprint of brushing my teeth for two minutes in the shower is, and that's why I'm not going to do it again. And so from learning, we can inform the choices that we want to make, whether it's cutting down on fast fashion, buying fewer, better quality clothes, lowering our meat intake in a similar way, less meat but better quality, um, or, you know, getting one of those travel cups, just starting there and only, only using that instead of the... Um, the, uh, the, you know, the cardboard ones when you're visiting Whitebird or some other inferior coffee shop. <laughs> and finally, with all of these things, let's remember to be a Christian about it. So, um, you know, after this, after this talk, I know I'm going to receive a load of emails um, saying, you know, when is Trent going to do this? When is Trent going to do that? And that is great. Like, honestly, we really do welcome those emails. But let's remember... Debbie's laughing. <laughs> no, we do, we do. But before we write them, let's remember, who is Trent? Trent is us, isn't it? So before you send those emails, consider, I want to ask you, what are you going to do that you're not yet doing? Um, so let's, you know, let's spur one another along. Let's challenge one another, but let's not judge one another. Let's not be pious, and we'll make a start and see how we get on. How's that sound? Amen. Brilliant. Would you like... Thank you.